0: So Father, we just thank You for the truth that the words we just sang are being sung in the heavens right now, and Brent has joined the chorus, as will all of us that know Your Son as our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that even now in this place as we continue to worship You, we would behold the beauty and the majesty of grace realized through Your Son. Lord, that as we walk together through the word of God, we would recognize that we are walking with Jesus right into eternity. Lord, may we live today with eternity in view. Lord, may your spirit minister to our hearts in this place this morning. Because I, for one, need it. We're excited to see what you'll do in this moment. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please have a seat. Grab your Bibles. Open them up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I feel compelled to take the time to read it. 1 Thessalonians 4, the T's are all together in your New Testament. Towards the end of the Bible, if you get to the Timothys or Titus, you've gone too far. So work backwards from there. I'm I'm in 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13. This is the Apostle Paul. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as those as the rest who have no hope for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again even so God will bring him with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What led Paul to write that was because he believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had no doubt of his eternal security, nor anyone else's who claims the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It is a message that has gone out to the world since the very beginning, and it has not changed. And that is why as we get ready to open up John chapter 1, we need to take seriously what we hold in our hands For it is the message of salvation. These are not just words on a page. And that's why I'm excited that in God's sovereignty, He had a starting in John. He knew when Brent was going to go be with the Lord. And He knew what we would be doing today before yesterday happened. And that's why, as we looked at last week in this series we're calling Sent to Make Disciples, that John himself said, These things are written that you might believe and that believing you would have life in his name. That's why the gospel is written. That's why we, we don't do justice to this book unless we really take it to heart. So let's do that today. John, when he was writing, he had... He had been exiled in a little island in the Greek Isles called Patmos. He had been boiled in oil, church history says, but left alive, the only of the apostles that, had, that did not die, that was not executed, I mean. He eventually died of old age. He had, he, it's where he wrote, he saw Revelation and wrote it, in the, the book that we call Revelation. And then he eventually left the island of Patmos and he ended up in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. And that is where he wrote the gospel. And so this, you picture this old man, At the end of his days, he's seen all of his fellow disciples go to be with the Lord. He's probably heard that Paul was executed. And he sits down to write this gospel, knowing that Matthew, Mark, and Luke had written theirs. And he doesn't just want to repeat what they said. So he begs God. I can picture him begging God, tell me the message you would have me speak. And God says, there's only one that matters. And it is the message of the gospel. It is that the Son of God became flesh and dwelt among us so this old man takes out some paper and he starts to write and like no other book in the bible we get to see who jesus is today we're going to look at jesus sent as the speaking voice of god but we're going to turn it to us being the speaking voice as well and and our temporal nature ought to compel us to speak more Brent's passing ought to remind us that none of us knows what's going to happen in the next few moments, let alone the next few days or weeks. So we should speak the truth in love every chance we get, because we don't know when it might be the last time we see somebody. Today we're looking at the question Do you know the speaking voice of God? Do you know the speaking voice of God? Do you know the Word? So let's jump in, and I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to go over time today, Um, even though I have cut some things out of the message, but um, that will be the last time I apologize for it today. So, pick it up in John 1, verse 1. The Word, the unchanging gospel of grace. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm going to stop there because we've ta- I've taught on this passage before, but that word, word there is the Greek word logos. There's two words in the Bible for the word, word in Greek. One is logos and one is rhema. Rhema means written word. This, what we hold in our hands, the physical act of the writing is the rhema word of God. What John is saying in the beginning was the logos. What does logos mean? It means the t- entirety of the message. It means in the beginning there was the gospel is what he's saying. The entirety of the message of the content of all revelation was in the beginning. And it was in the beginning with God. And then it says, and it was God. Not a God. It was the God. It is the Trinity. It is the triune Godhead. It is the incarnation. And it is a mystery. How can one God be three parts? Well, we can ask him that when we get there. But he's saying that The Word was face-to-face with God the Father before eternity even began. And then he says, he was with God in the beginning. So we have this picture. Now look at how he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. And then he says, he was with God in the beginning. Why did he transition from word, logos, to a personal pronoun, he? Who's the he? Well, we find out in verse 14 that it's the he is Jesus. So we go from in the beginning was the word, the word God, God was he, he is Jesus. So he's already starting to lay out this idea that Jesus is God. It's the same picture that we get, in, get this, now I'm gonna, Isaiah, I don't turn there, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 is going to come up on the screen. This passage was written 700 years before Jesus lived here on the earth, but not before he existed. Read it with Jesus in view. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare spru- bear and sprout and furnish seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. I will not, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Does that describe Jesus? Amen. Did Jesus accomplish the matter for which he was sent? Absolutely. The empty tomb proves it. Let's look at verse 3. All things came into being through him. Who's the hymn? Jesus. Who's the hymn? Jesus. Thank you. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now John is making reference all the way back to the, as if to prove the point of the Logos of God, that in the beginning was the message of the gospel. He's going all the way back to the beginning. Because in Genesis 1-1, in the very beginning of your Bible, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. How did God create? He spoke. He used word. He used the word to create. In fact, in Genesis 1 he goes on this triune Godhead it says then God which is the word God there is Elohim it's the plural form of the word of God says in a plural way let us make man in our image according to our likeness nobody's been created yet either God is schizophrenic here or there is a triune Godhead because he's speaking in the plural So he's saying, here it is, let us make man in our image. The passage that Dan used in Revelation um, verse 19, you're going to read about it in your daily readings this week. If you're getting the devotionals that we send out or you're using the daily readings on the back of your bulletin, in Revelation 19, you're going to read through that passage. And I love how how John starts with, in the beginning was the word. And at the end, in Revelation 19, almost at the very end of the Bible, he says, and his name is called the word of God. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the one that was and is and is to come, the Almighty. That is the Jesus that we worship. What's interesting, in the book of Genesis, right after, right after he says God created the earth, in Genesis 1, 3, it says, and then God said, he spoke, let there be light, and there was light. Guys, that was day one. When was the sun created? The sun, S-U-N. Day four. So what's the light between day one and day four? Jesus. So even there we see along comes the light. Now look at how how John in his gospel picks this up in verse four. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. A better translation would say overpower it or master it or overcome it the point is that there is darkness in the world and the darkness does not overcome the light so we went from the Word to God to he to Jesus and now it's we're talking about this light this is what struck me as I was thinking about that in, in, Psalm 109 verse, or one, in Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. As I was just meditating on this idea of, of the word all the way to the light, how does that fit? So here's what I came up with. The word is the communication in content of the message of the gospel. The word is the communication of the content of the message of the gospel. We get it here in the, in the Bible as the rhema word of God. Jesus is the personification. That is the perfect example of the message of the gospel. So the word, all of these are Jesus, ultimately. But Jesus in bodily form is the personification or the perfect example of the gospel. And the light is the illumination in directing our lives of the message of the gospel. So guys, do you see why we are so word-heavy here at cornerstone do you see why dan started i mean he quoted multiple verses before he even got to the invocation which is inviting god's presence into this place through the power of his word why are we so word heavy why do we preach this over and over guys those of you that have been here a while you're like okay doug's getting on his soapbox I'm I'm going to resist the urge to get to get all the way up on it, but I would be remiss if I didn't say this is why this what we just read. Jesus is the Word is why we are so adamant about being in God's Word every day, every day. On your own, with you, between you, Jesus, who is the word, and his spirit in you, he will open your eyes and illuminate your heart to the truth of who he is. You cannot know Christ apart from the Bible. Period. You can come to, you can come to saving faith. I mean, there are people in China that don't have the word. I'm not talking about that kind of know. I'm talking about really get to know him apart from his word. For here it is. Here he is. And that's why I am going to keep, I know I'm a broken record. It is the only record that plays. It's it. It's all I got. I sat there for two hours with Connie and Carrie and I were there and, and I probably said five words because I'm like, I got nothing. I just prayed, meditated on scripture because I got nothing apart from the word of God. Guys, if you know people I know I'm preaching to the choir. If you know people that are in a a church that professes faith in Christ and they do not know that their church does not use the Bible or doesn't encourage people to bring a Bible or we used to talk about this a lot before you guys all went electronic on me, you don't hear the noise of pages turning, tell those people to run. Run. A church that does not stand on the word of God, that does not use the word of God, is not a church that is exalting Jesus Christ. It can't be. It just can't be. And there is a sea of people out there going to hell who are attending church today, right now, or last night somewhere, that, don't, that, are, that are feeding them a false gospel. Or at least a partial gospel because they never open the book. Where the gospel is this is the gospel look at your at the back of your connecting points it's called being in community we used to call it formally the the growth spurt the so what which we have this idea of we we, we have our philosophy of ministry which is connecting to christ being in community engaging in the call so this is the idea of how are we in community together here are some really startling statistics says, research shows that less than half of all professing evangelicals attend church more than one time each month. Guys, get what that's saying. Less than half of the people that say they believe in Jesus attend church one time a month. Guys, I t- we talked about this a few weeks ago during the Exper- Experiencing God Study. Attendance matters. Not to check a box, but because we are part of the body of Christ. And when one of us is missing Because we're at home watching the Cardinals play at 10 a.m. And we know people right now that are doing that. Get in their grill. Don't let them be satisfied with living that way. Because that's more than half of the people that profess faith in Christ in our country. We need to reach those people. Guys, those are lost people. I'm not judging hearts. I don't have anybody in mind. But many of those people are lost people. To say that you're a Christian and not attend church is a non-secreture. It is not not logical. If you are his, you will love being with his people. Bottom line. Now get this, it gets worse. Of the half that do attend church, so let's forget about the ones I was just talking about. Of the half that do attend church, Less than 30% read their Bible more than once a week. 40% read their Bible maybe once or twice a month. And almost 20% say they never read their Bibles. These are the people that attend church more regularly. And a quarter of them are saying, yeah, but I don't read my Bible. Get this. The Phoenix area was recently named the third most biblically illiterate metropolitan area in the United States behind get these, San Francisco and Salt Lake City. That is not a badge of honor. Oh, how we need to be a people of the word and we gather and as we gather, so here's what here's my challenge for us. As we gather, whenever we gather, ask each other this question because it'll it'll community together we will challenge each other to be in his word if we ask each other this question what is the lord speaking to you in his word recently if we're not asking if, if we would start asking each other that question we would start going man i better show up with an answer so let's do that Guys, I've said this before. I've shared it a bunch of times. We have resources on the back on the Connect table that were about how to get into the Word every day. You can contact the church leader, and we'll help you with that process as well. Um, but I'm telling, st- if you don't have a, a daily habit, start with 15 minutes. 15 minutes a day. Five minutes to read the daily reading. Five minutes to meditate on it, and five minutes to respond to it by writing out one sentence about what God is saying to you about it. 15 minutes is not too much to give to God. He's giving you 168 hours this week, Lord willing. 15 minutes a day comes to like 1% of that. We can do that. If you need help, let me know. I would love to sit down and help you because, and here's why. I was meeting with a a gentleman this week. Practically, but how do I do that? Here's how it started with me. Set your, it doesn't start tomorrow morning. You know when it starts? Tonight. It starts when you set your alarm 15 minutes earlier than you normally would. That's when it'll start. When you go to bed tonight and you say, I need to get up at five to be at work, and you go, no, I'm going to get up at 445 because I need that extra 15 minutes. That's when it starts. That's when you'll see if you're serious. But guys, the reason all of it matters is I have yet and I'm saying this I know this is, is sort of speaking in hyperbole, but it's not I have yet to meet the man who has developed the discipline of daily being in God's word, whose life was a shambles. I, does not Brent was a man of God's word, and God took him home. It does not mean our life is going to be rosy. But it means our life is not going to be chaos because we are anchored to the rock. I have never met the man who has developed the discipline of being in God's word every day whose life is chaos. I have not met him. And I meet a ton of men that profess faith in Christ who are constantly in a state of chaos. And when I say, how's your time in the word? They're part of that 20% that doesn't ever read their Bible. And I go, what do you expect? And I wasn't getting good in my soapbox. So do you hear his speaking voice? His word. Then we are to speak this ter- his witness. Look at verse 6. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we're going to look at John the Baptist more closely next week in where we're going to be in the rest of the chapter but guys, get this. That word sent is in the perfect tense, the passive voice. That means he was sent out of his own control, right? And he was sent, he was, his plan sending was planned by God in eternity past, just like yours and mine. So as we were meeting in our men's group on Tuesday morning where Brent was, and we were talking through this passage together, Eric Bailey said that what struck him as he read this is he said, there was a man sent by God whose name was blank, Fill in the blank. Can you fill in the blank with your name? There was a man sent by God whose name was blank. Can you fill that blank in? Guys, the, 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 the call to be sent is a worldwide call. We have men in Mexico right now because it is a worldwide call. But it is also a call to our neighborhoods, to our schools, to our place of work, to our family. Where have you been sent? Where are you called to? What would you when you fill in that blank of there was a person, a child, a, a young adult, a whatever sent by God whose name was blank? Where do you see yourself being sent? On the back table next to the map of our of our future church home, Lord willing, we have um, a map of this area of the valley, and we have a bunch of these little pushpins, little white pushpins like this. And some markers. Here's what I would ask you to do pray first. And if you legitimately are committed, saying, I know God has sent me to this, my neighborhood, sent me to my school, sent me to my place of work, there's some sharpies in there. Put your initials on the little, on the head of the pin and stick it in the map where you are committed to being the light of the gospel. But don't put the pin in there unless you're committed. We're not interested in seeing a whole bunch of pins on the map. What we're interested in is seeing people go, this is is my commitment to being sent to that place. I got this side covered. Let's keep going. Verse 7, he says, he came as a witness, a testimony... Really, is what that word means to testify about the light, so that all might believe in him, all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Guys, our church is the, Are the sent ones? We are. Are we being his witness? That's the question. So, we hear a speaking voice through his word. We are his speaking voice through his witness. The next part is his way. What is his way of salvation? Well, John jumps right into it. Look at verse 9. It says, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Now guys, that word enlightens does not mean saved. It is not under salvation. It is not even under illumination. What that word actually means is revelation of the truth. It is revealing sin. So what he's saying is, this is what John is saying, is there was, a, there was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man, shows every man their sin issues. It's what Paul talks about in Romans 1, where he says it is evident to everyone. No one is without excuse. That's the light he's describing here. He's saying there is not a single person who, who has an excuse of God never enlightened me to my sin problem and my need for Jesus. He does that for everyone. It says so right here. Let's keep going and I'll pick it up. So, it says he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him it's interesting that in in isaiah 53 which is this great messianic passage again that was written 700 years before jesus was even here physically where it's it's the passage where we get that he was um crushed for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities um the chastening of the lord fell upon him it was it starts with isaiah starts with who has believed our message because and then he finishes the thought with nobody It's the same thing here. It's what John is saying. He's saying the the people he was sent to did not recognize him. Now get this in verse 12. But as many as received him, to to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Man, there are some important words there I can't do justice to, but I'm going to try just to explain quickly, because they're important as to the way of salvation. So listen up. When he says, but as many as received him. That word received is the Greek word "lambano." It means, get this, it means to accept. It means to accept. It is a picture in the Greek of, of a gift being offered. It's being initiated by the giver. But the opportunity to accept it or reject it is from the one receiving it. That's the picture in the Greek. I'm going to say that again. The initiation of the offer, the, the gift, is initiated by God. But, the, but whether you grab a hold of it or not is in the power of the one who is accepting it. He explains it further with the next word when he says, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That word right in Greek is exosia. And it means the power to choose. It's not a right like we have rights in America. It means he's given them, he has taken the scales off their eyes. And he has said, you have the the power now to choose. I I have removed just the complete darkness of your heart so that you wouldn't even know you need me. And I have enlightened you enough to go, I know now that I need Jesus Christ. And then it says, he's given them the right even to those who believe in his name. When we looked at believe last week, the Greek word here, same as it was last week, is pastio, and it's the form of the word that, that is often translated faith, but in this case, it means complete reliance. It is an inner heart change that, is, that results in outward action. It is not just some cognitive, yeah, I believe in Jesus like those half of the people that don't go to church or the other half of the people that do go to church that don't read their. It is is an actual, no, I I have come to believe and put my complete trust in to the point that I cannot do without him, so I better be in the word. I need to be, not to be saved, but because I'm saved. Guys, it is, that, that whole scene right there is a picture of, it is a picture of an offering of a gift without the acceptance of it being demanded. And and as if to finalize the point of this mystery of the way of salvation, John says this in verse 13. So these people who believed were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. There is the way right there. Guys, here's the thing. We We have complete responsibility We absolutely, as people, have the responsibility to to accept the gift that is being offered. And yet, God is completely sovereign. How does that work? The answer is, I have no idea. Because I'm not God, and I praise Him that He's big enough that I don't get it. But there are two pillars of truth that are clear in Scripture. God is not a linear, sequential God. God. The same moment that he spoke creation into existence is the same moment he put Jesus on the cross and it's the same moment that he took Brent home yesterday. In in the view of God, they're all one and the same. We live them sequentially. It is why Paul, after he writes the gospel... In Romans 1 through 11, he gets to the end of, he spends 11 chapters writing out the sovereignty of God unto salvation. And he gets to the end in, in, John, or in, in Romans eleven thirty three, and he says, Oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known in the mind of the Lord, and who can counsel him? But, but here's what I know Paul's saying, But from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Guys, I don't get it, and I take great comfort in the fact that Paul, who wrote more about it than anybody else in the New Testament, didn't get it either. But here's what I know. Write these down. No one in heaven will ever say, I got myself here. No one in, Brent is in in the presence of his Savior, and he knows he had nothing to do with it. He is not up there right now going, man, it's a good thing I was smart enough to accept that gift. In God's great mystery, he accepted the gift by God's grace. But no one in hell will ever say, God, put me here either. But here's the thing, everyone will end up in one of those two places. Every person who's ever lived, there are only two destinations. There's no purgatory, there's no third option, there's no other plan B, there's no just rotting in the grave. You will either spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ and the rest of us that know him, or you will spend it in hell apart from those that know the Lord. And the time to decide is now. The time for us to preach that message is now. Along those lines, look at your engagement zone. It's the now what? It's what are we supposed to go do now? It's engage in the call. We're supposed to be engaging the call. What does that look like? It is true that we cannot see the light without the Spirit's in, in initiation. And we, of our own volition, can reject the light For we love the darkness so much. Can we look someone in the eye and say, you can make the choice. Choose life in Christ that you might live. Guys, the answer is yes. we got to live like the answer is yes. we got to talk like the answer is yes, because it is. Yes, their rejection is their fault and between them and the Lord. But guys, here's some more sad statistics. 80% 80% of all professing believers agree that they have a role to play in seeing people come to faith, that they have a role to play as sent ones to share their faith. But only 40% say that, they openly have spoken, that they've openly spoken to anyone outside of their church family in the past year about who Jesus is and what he has done for them. Guys, let's change that statistic. As a church, let's commit to changing that system. Let's not be part of that 40% that does not ever speak the name of Jesus Christ. Guys, again, I'm going to take the time. Turn where we are in John, a few pages, to Luke chapter 24. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 21. It's just to the left of where we are, a couple of pages. Guys, get this, because I, I, I see stuff posted on Facebook and Twitter and I'm just by Christians, and I'm, and I'm so frankly, like, 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 what gospel are you reading? This is Jesus talking about his second coming. Luke 21, verse 25. There will be, Guys, now get, read this in light of what's going on in our world right now. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of heavens will be shaken. Does that sound a little bit like what's going on in our world right now, like right now in Florida? It says, then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But guys, get this. This is where I get my little tagline on my emails of keep looking up. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Guys, it does not say, and we should not be posting as Christians, pessimistic things about the state of our nation or about what's going on in the world with the earthquakes and the tornadoes. And the, We should be going, guys, this is just getting us closer to the end. Praise God, come to Jesus. We should be the most optimistic. That's what Jesus is saying there in verse 28. You should be the most optimistic people on the planet. It does not say when you see all these things happening, run and hide, hunker down, huddle up. It says stand up, look up, because I'm coming. That's what we should be celebrating. Let's look at our last point. Guys, the fact that he was willing to come here should just completely floor us. So this word that spoke everything into existence, that, that is God, it says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. The glory is the only begotten from the Father. That means the one of a kind. Only begotten just means one of a kind. Full of grace and truth. Guys, when we see the awe, like when, or when we're in awe of his willingness to leave where he is now again, and where he was, to come here, and then to realize that while he was here, he wasn't really treated well. He was rejected, he was spit on, he was, they tried to kill him multiple times and eventually they succeeded. Praise God, because that's how we get redemption. Guys, we should be in awe of that. So here's my question. If you look at the bottom of your connecting points, the reacting to your will, I'm going to ask you right now, what is God asking, what is he saying to you right now? What, there's two questions there. What is the Spirit saying to you and what is Jesus asking you to do Guys, don't just make today about today. Don't just go, you know what? I, 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 um, I came to church and I got the Cardinals game T-vote and I'm going to go home and I'm going to watch that and I'm going to move on with my day. Right now, what is he saying to you? And what is he asking you to do about it? I'm going to wrap it up with the last few verses of our passage. It says, John testified about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. of of his fullness we have received in grace upon grace. Guys, he is the complete embodiment of the message of the gospel. And as believers in Jesus, we we get to experience that. He goes on and says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized, that word realized means made perfect, brought into complete concrete existence Through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He, Jesus, has explained Him. That's why Jesus matters. There is no knowing God without knowing Jesus Christ. Because He is God and because He came here to fully explain Him. That's why as, we re, as we're going through this, this series talking about how he, as the Father sent me, so I send you. As we walk as Jesus walked, we will be fulfilling what Jesus has empowered us to fulfill. But that only happens if we believe he is who he says he is. He is going to do what he said he's going to do. And we hear his voice, which is the question today. Do you hear or do you know the speaking voice of God? I'm going to close with a quote from Tozer out of his book, The Pursuit of God. There's copies of it in the back. We've had them back there before. I, 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 I mentioned it a few messages ago. It's a great book, it's a great chapter called The Speaking Voice. As the music team comes up, I'm just going to read this and pray. It says The whole Bible supports the idea God is speaking. Not God spoke, but God is speaking. He is by his very nature continuously articulate. He fills the world with his speaking voice. The word of God affects the hearts of men as a light in the soul. Much of our unbelief is due to a wrong conception of and a wrong feeling for the scriptures. We too often believe a silent God suddenly began to speak in a book and when the book was finished, lapsed back into silence again forever. Now we sadly read the book as the record of, of what God said when he was, for a brief time, in a speaking mood. With notions like that in our heads, how can, we be say, how can we believe? The facts are that God is not silent, he has never been silent. It is the nature of God to speak. The second person of the Trinity is called the Word. The Bible is the inevitable outcome of God's continuous speech put into our familiar human words. If you would follow on to know the Lord, come at once to your open Bibles, expecting it to speak to you. Let's pray. So, Father, I just thank you for the truth that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, that so you have not left us here alone. And you have not left us here wondering what we're supposed to be doing. And yet, Lord, you have left us here. You have kept us here for a reason. Just like you took Brent home for a reason. We may not be sure about that one, but we know why you left us here. And you left us here that we might proclaim the gospel. That we might be the light. That we might be your hands and feet to a world of darkness. That you have enlightened there is no heart, heart too hard for you. There are no eyes that are too closed for you, that you are a sovereign God, you are a powerful God. And so what I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names, the name that makes demons flee, the name that makes knees bow, that we as a people would go forward in boldness knowing that you're the one who's really gone before us. You are always previous. You are always prior. You are always out there paving the way. All we have to do is look and see where you're working and join you. Lord, I pray for the people that you have us, that you're putting on our hearts to engage with, to be sent to, that that you would show us your working in their lives. And then you would give us words of grace and truth that they might believe, for that is why we're left here, in Jesus' name, amen.